Thanks for tuning in. We're Ace Comicals. I have with me my co-host Rahul Chani and Leon Everett. I'm Brent Driver. Let's get started. This is a special news bulletin. Ladies and gentlemen, I do this with a heavy heart. We regret to inform you the doomsday clock has struck midnight. Welcome to Ace Comicals episode 23. I have both my co-hosts today, Ray and Leon. All right, Greg. (laughs) So, a lot to unpack here. Been a really heavy couple of weeks for comics, I think. We've got the big one, which is doomsday clock number one, which obviously that's what my little intro was about this time and there's been stuff at the movies and stuff on tv as well because uh netflix have had their punisher series out now so that's now on netflix ready to watch and binge and uh, we've got justice league at the cinemas so you guys haven't watched the punisher yet have you so not yet no okay it's just me then (laughs) i am currently only five episodes in but i am enjoying it so far i think for me, a lot of people are saying it's their favourite one of the Defenders so far. I think for me, um, it's like joint with Daredevil because my favourite was Daredevil up to now. Um, That's pretty high praise so far. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm really I'm really liking this. It's definitely it's definitely one of the better ones. Punisher for me is a little bit of a dark area because although I know who the Punisher is and what he does and everything else, I don't have a lot of Punisher comics, so I don't know. I don't know like loads about the punisher but what i do know about the punisher this this is like you know this is doing it for me basically so i do enjoy this show Um, i mean without uh jumping in any super like plot details or or whatever like what what is it about the show that is working for you that it is nearing the top of your list of the mcu or netflix shows just the way they portray frank castle like the way they show his trauma and everything because everyone knows he's a veteran and part of what he does comes from the fact that he experienced terrible things when he went to war for his country and it's the way that they the way that they portray that and the way that they portray a soldier coming back changed from wherever it is he's been sent to fight on his country's behalf and and what doing the things you have to do in those situations will do to a man I think I quite like that. I quite quite like the way that they they show that and the way that they the way that they show that he's not just this this bullet spraying tough as nails steel statue of a man. He's he's like, you know, he's got he's got a very soft core as a he's very vulnerable in fact <laughs> in places. That so. that's pretty cool cuz yeah. there is a, a, a fair um that a whole show based on the Punisher become one note because I I loved um, John uh, Bernthal's, um uh, performance as him in Daredevil season two. I, I thought he was the best thing that's in that season. Yeah, and he was just he he wasn't like a classical Punisher in terms of what I remember from the comics yeah. or the cartoon, but he was a really interesting take on it. And I think Bernthal is um, one of the more interesting um, actors of uh, our current generation. And I think with that role, he transforms it from what could be almost um, a one one note uh, I just want revenge and I'll kill anyone to a quite a, a nuanced character. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed that in season two. It's, so yeah, I mean, if he's carrying that on in, in the main show, 
then uh, I'm I'm looking forward mm. to that. Yeah, 100%. The, the way he plays the Punisher is as much about the vengeance and the black and white sense of justice as it is about the paranoia and the fear that that character experiences in being, you know, in 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 having all all these enemies in knowing what the people that he's fighting against are capable of and things like that, you know? Mm. Anyone that gets close to him is potentially a target as most heroes know, but more so in the Punisher, I think. And I'm going to talk a little bit about some recent Punisher comics later on, uh, which I've had on my list, which I've read off the back of this, actually, off enjoying the show. I've thought maybe I should bone up on the Punisher. And there's been some decent releases for Punisher comics recently, so I've been I've had a quick look at some of those. Yeah, so, I mean, you guys have seen Justice League both of you, haven't you? We have, we saw it together. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. What angle do we come at this one from? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I don't think I've uh, hidden my perspective and opinion on the DC universe, um, the cinematic universe, as it's been to date. Um, not been that impressed with it overall. So I went in with fairly low expectations, um, especially knowing that there's been some muddled or some muddied history with the production of this new film, uh, you know, having been passed through different creative hands over the course of its production. Um, overall, not as disappointed as I was expecting to be, but also not as enthralled as I would have liked to have been. Um, where do you stand on it, Leon? Yeah, um, it's a tricky one. I've got like mixed feelings. As, um, sim- similar to you, um, and uh, known really well by anybody who um, tries to engage me on this. I... The DCU. Or known to anyone who was within earshot of us after the. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the DCU has been mostly a disappointment for me in several ways. But it, it, the most ways is, I just think there's a an outright uh, lack of understanding of uh, the characters and the world, and it feels like a, a rushed attempt to try and catch up to the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. But like, um, I mean, in e- each, each thing, there's, there's each film, there's still I- interesting things going on, interesting ideas. I just, it never, it never seems to work together. And it, it hurts me to my corn because it's, it could be so, it could be so good. And in some ways they're so close and in other ways they're so far. But um, yeah, I mean, coming off the back of the goodwill of Wonder Woman, I was interested um in what would happen with this this film, and yeah, I mean, going in with such low expectations, it hits this weird spot where I don't hate. I, I've got no anger left. The fight, the fight has left me with um, the last two uh, with um, Suicide Squad and Batman vs Superman. That the fight has left me. I'm I'm not. I don't have the passionate anger anymore because I've just resigned myself to the fate of what these movies are. But I think because of that, I mean, even despite all the weird stuff to do with the rewrites and the reshots and uh, reshooting and um, some of the other issues with the film and the fact that the tone does bounce wide, wildly uh, depending who wrote and directed the scene. Um, it's not terrible. Like I don't hate it. It's not a great film by any stretch. Um, I mean, in, in some ways, I mean, you, you could describe it as a bad, a bad film and a lot of reviews have, but I can... Simpl- not simplifies. I can I can understand 
people who are who are fans of the DCEU so far enjoying this movie um, because ultimately it's like a course correction uh, of try of getting uh, the dour world that was set up to begin with and mixing it with a more lighter tone that that matches some of the other uh, box office uh, fare at the moment. So. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a muddled mess of a film, but it's not complete trash, uh, which would be surprising coming from me. But um, no, there's just generally some really like fun moments in the film, um, and some interesting action beats. Um, uh, it it does it does weird things where I don't want to get into any plot details, but it it gets into like territory which is. Um, very close to one of my favorite comics uh, runs of this year, and that sort of holds up the uncanny valley mirror to you a bit. But I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to go out there and go to the cinema and see it. But I don't know; it's not it's not the train wreck it could could be. Yeah, my feeling on it is it's like it's the less it's less than the sum of all of its parts which is not the way it should be. When you've got all of these great heroes coming together, it should become something bigger than all the disparate parts. But I feel like it kind of flattens towards the end. And I just, I left feeling a bit meh, I think. Greg, what did you feel yeah. about it? I, um, I just, I don't know. I don't know how to articulate what I feel with this film because it's not that I didn't, it's not that I hate it, but it's not that I like it either. I think, I think I felt it was rushed I think I felt I feel that yeah. this this whole DC cinematic universe thing could benefit from from more time. It, it needs to be spaced out. They need to be more thoughtful in their releases. Have more of a lead in, yeah, rather than rushing things out. I think each individual character in this film. I think the members of the Justice League that hadn't yet been introduced could have benefited from a proper introduction. Maybe having their own movie. Mm. It, I do. I do feel like we're kind of tiptoeing around the idea that the hands that are molding this franchise just aren't that talented. Like, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it's just, it it seems a little bit sophomoric in its attempts at portraying something that could be really grand and epic and meaningful. Yeah. But they're just taking all the surface elements, skimming it off the top and then just throwing what Mm. they think would be cool as opposed to what actually works for the characters or what works for the plot. they're They're taking something that, I mean could be a lot grander than it actually is and and it's they're taking something and they're not they're they're not doing it justice to a standard Mm. they're not they're not holding it to to the standard it deserves to be held at basically they're just i don't know it's subpar i guess for me it's not it's not terrible it's not the worst thing ever but it's subpar i mean it was cool yeah and and but that's what i was just gonna say like the thing is i think it's it's more that there was an initial uh, miscalculation in how to approach uh, these characters in the 21st century. Um, And that coupled with wanting to catch up the other studio who were making billions and billions and billions, who set up their universe in a particular way, uh, coupled with lots of damage control with like bad reviews and... um, like outcries online that I think that what was already slightly shaky has now become a bit more of a mess because there's so many hands pulling at it and 
pointing it in different directions. Whereas, um, had it even even not liking the way it was created to begin with, if any of the other elements, like not being rushed or uh, not uh, like changing the the movie last minute for various different reasons to match the tone of other things. I think we'd still have a bunch of films that I might not personally like, but they might be more interesting. Yeah. Because where I pushed back with the talent argument is that I think a lot of the people working on these films are like really talented and have done good work in the past. But I think the problem here is the foundations and the roots um, were not, they were not firm. Mm. And I think mm. the, the tr- instead of like shutting it all down and starting again, which they can't really do, instead they're trying to paper over the gaps. And in some ways they're getting away with it and it's working if things are fully divorced, like Wonder Woman. And in other ways they're not like with, with with this film. But, I mean, it's interesting with what you were saying earlier, Greg, because I agree with you. Like, the lead-in films mean so much. Like, one, one of the, char- the character I feel, think benefits the most from this movie is uh, Wonder Woman. And it we're, we're, because we're just coming off the back of her film that we have a solid idea of the world she's coming from and her, uh, her, like what this version of her like origin story is that she's a fully formed character in this movie. Um, and she's just having fun and she's like really enjoyable to spend time with. And I think, um, I think that matters a lot. Whereas, um, I would give credit to like, uh, like Gal Gadot with that, but I'd also give um, credit to, Ezra Miller, um, his Flash, who is in a different movie from everyone else, but he's having fun and the fun translates. So it's interesting. It's it's feeling the the, the seeing the seeing the um, the seams of the production does hurt the movie. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, there, there's fun to be had and had in it. It's just it's so. It frust- it's frustrating and disappointing because of what we could be getting right now. Yeah, it, it felt it felt disjointed, and I I felt that a lot of people might watch it and end up confused. Yeah, because it just mm-hmm. there was no. Um, although they tried to, they they tried to cram exposition and explanation into that film. This is why it felt rushed because they just seemed to try and cram so much into one movie. They didn't um, actually end up explaining anything coherently or very well. And I think people might watch it and come away confused. Um, like, and I mean, I, I, there were parts where I was thinking when I was watching it, I was thinking, wait a second, you know, can we just double mm. back? Can I watch that again? Because I don't understand where that ties to this and things like that. But I mean, I, I put it together in my head in the end, but it's just not, I just don't think it's. Um, I just don't think it was very well thought through. I think, like I said, no. it would benefit from lead-ins, like I said. I think if there was been... I don't think it would have had such a bad reception if there had been enough lead-in and maybe a couple more films before it. So they could have done an, an Aquaman film and a Flash film. Which are coming after. <laughs> yeah, they should have come before, really. Or even, you know, a Cyborg film would have been good to come before this. 
but no. You just got to watch them in in a different order then. Yeah, exactly. When they all come out, if they come out, I'm looking at the box office, um, you just got to like watch them in different order. <laughs> oh, and watch Justice League last. Oh, DC. Anyway, so I mean, whereas where DC seem to be dropping the ball slightly cinematically, I think they're actually doing all right comics-wise, guys. Because uh, this is where we start talking about what we've been reading, and um, as I've already mentioned and alluded to with the intro to this episode, we're going to talk about the Doomsday Clock number one, which, uh, as of recording this, came out yesterday. Because we are recording this on the 23rd of November, which is the day after New Comic Day. So, Doomsday Clock number one, which is uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank on art duties um now this is a sequel direct sequel or reads like a direct sequel to watchmen which uh if you guys know watchmen is the um 1986 book 86 87 book by alan moore and dave gibbons and that book was heavily influential in sort of redefining the superhero genre and also took a wry look at um, the superhero genre and at the same time it was a, um, a scathing snapshot of how the world was It's it was like a total deconstruction of comics as they were and it helped to sort of like reshape and, and give us the comics that we know today because a, a lot of the comics we read today were influenced and, and a lot of the writers and artists that we see today were shaped by this book um so guys i mean initial 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 impressions from you guys about this yeah so i didn't have um i didn't really know much about this going in which i feel like is my catchphrase every two weeks um but you uh brought me onto this uh literally just the day before it came out i didn't really realize it was a thing um one thing i wanted to ask you was there have been other post watchmen watchmen centric comics correct there have yes um and does this tie into any of those because i've i've basically avoided them thinking with my mindset being that i don't really want to have a half-assed attempt at continuing the watchmen universe and have it like ruin what i love already if Mm. that makes sense no which i don't know if that's a very i i I think that's kind of close-minded on my part and i'll get to that in a moment because i actually did quite enjoy doomsday clock number one but i want to know if it's worth me going back to the other watchman comics just to see what the deal is no i i avoided them at the time um i didn't i think they were they were supposed to be prequels weren't they I, that's what i got it was yeah for watchman or so i i didn't i honestly didn't follow it that well I think I think they were I think they were supposed to be like pre Watchmen Watchmen comics so like a prequel series. Um, Fair enough. But I mean, needless yeah, to say, because I avoided uh, them as well. To be honest, I didn't I, I didn't watch them as well because at the time I was in the mindset that Watchmen shouldn't be touched. <laughs> but, and then so I I went into the comic book shop not expecting to pick this up because I'd we'd already had a quick discussion about this beforehand where you went to the shop in the morning and said oh I had to I had to buy the lenticular Rorschach cover and I was like ah, Greg falling for the lenticular cover sucker and then I walked in and I saw it and I it, oh, it was on my pile with, without me even realizing it like I was paying for it and I was like oh yeah I, I picked that up as well I didn't realize so I, I took it home and um yeah I actually there's something about the there's a reverence to the original Watchmen, which I didn't expect from this. Um, it really does feel like 
it, if not spiritually in the same vein, it does feel like it's trying really hard to be a continuation. It doesn't take any huge left turns to places that make you feel like it's um, straying from the source material. Uh, and it tells a fairly simple story because it has to in that it's setting up this new arc yeah. that we're going to get for, I think, 12 issues. So it not a lot happens, but there's a lot of... I don't know, there's a, it, it, it does that great thing where when you have 12 issues, when you have this amount of time to grow a story that's based on something that's really highly revered, um, like it does... Uh, it, it picks out all the things that you remember and then embellishes on them. Mm. It doesn't detract from your memory. Yeah. And I'm really keen to see where this goes. And I, that was so unexpected for me. No. Yeah. I mean, the, the older I get, the more comics I read, the more this feeling of Watchmen should be left alone fades for me. So whereas I didn't touch these other Watchmen comics, I don't know much about them. I think they were supposed to be prequels, but don't quote me on that. This to me is, you know, it, the original Watchmen, as we've said, it's a high art. It's a scathing snapshot of how the world was and a deconstruction of the superhero genre, as I've already explained. But, like, who's to say this can't be updated to reflect today's world? And I think that is what this book is going to do. And I think as an introduction and a barometer of things to come, I think that's where we're going with this. Um, especially with some of the news reports we're seeing in the beginning of the book and the way it seems to be panning out. I mean, the opening chapter, it's... It is hold definitely as an opening chapter this is definitely holding a mirror to the modern world and we know that it's been proven time and time again that the superhero genre and comics in general are excellent hosts for satire and, and commentary so i'm and this this is doing it very well and i think this carries the spirit of the original watchman very well in the way that it opens and the way that it, this this particular issue reads um i yeah, like it—it—it's it, it, a weird creation, isn't it? Because I mean, I mean, with this, we should be talk, talking about Jeff Johns and yeah. how after New Fifty Two, he uh, ushered in the new like DC Rebirth era, which all the comics are currently on, aren't they? Mm. Um, and he kicked that off with the bumper issue uh, DC Rebirth, which was the story of. Uh, the Flash, um, one of the Flashes, um, coming back and seeing the uh, the, un- the the world, um, the New Fifty Two world, and being like, Where- "Where's all the color gone? Where's all the the fun? Why is this, pl- this place so morose and depressed?" And uh, one by one, he goes from character to character, and um, there's some interesting like revelations slash uh, allusions to uh to watchmen mm. that i believe um was followed up with or more hints are made in the, the was it is it batman flash the, the button i've not read that yet yeah yeah it's the you've got rebirth then you've got the button yeah um then you've got superman reborn oh no wait no no well? it, goes, it goes rebirth then superman reborn then the button, <laughs> then the Oz effect, then Doomsday Clock, and so like that um, sort of setup into this. Now, what was alluded to before seems to be uh, exactly what they were going for. And like all year, I've been seeing like countdown to. Um, so I follow a lot of the DC writers on Twitter, 
and I just skim over it because I'm like, oh, what is this Watchmen crap? Um, and they were just talking about it for months because I think there was a, a probably a short run of Countdown to Doomsday Clock as you always have before these events. And I was yeah. like, eh, whatever. Da, 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 da. And then as it was nearing release earlier this week, I thought, oh man, the actual thing's coming out. It's Jeff Johns again running it. I mean, this is this is Jeff Johns. This is the guy who's basically running DC Comics at the moment. Uh, and he's got his finger in every pie. He's the co-runner. He's trying to write the ship of the DCEU, the, the cinematic universe. Like this is this is the guy. This is the guy who in DC Rebirth there's like veiled sort of jabs at, at um, Snyder's interpretation of the of the DC universe uh, in, in the in the films. Yeah. So that's what made me think. Oh, screw it. Let let me let me check this out because you know me. I I'm just not a fan of. Uh, big event stories anymore I'm, I'm too old for this and i hate all the uh tertiary comics you need to read as part of it so for this i'm just going to read this 12 might go back to the button but um yeah reading this it was very like the first page is so striking it has that like that classic panel layout that we that we know and love but um it's set is it 92 so it's like a we're showing, we're seeing like the aftermath of uh, what happened at the, the end of the Watchmen comic. Um, yeah, and but the way it's done, there's so many like relevant buzzwords to politics today, and how um, things are very polarized between uh, like both sides, if you want to put it that way. And you see a lot of words like because uh, you're you're the, the first panels you're reading are the uh, like sort of the inner monologues slash diary entries of uh, of a character who's quite nihilistic, and there's like mention of undeplorables and echo chambers and these posters of "Make America Safe Again," and uh, there's like in, in reference to the the president, there's like. No, no statements come out, and there's an image of a, a golf club. News reports of the uh, European Union collapsing. <laughs> yeah, and like uh, the Mexican Wall, uh, Americans are flooding into Mexico. They knocked it down, and there, like, there's um, lots of like little things in there where you can feel like Jeff Johns. Um, I mean, it's, it seems like he's bringing trying to bridge the gap between these two things mm. and like you say in updating for me it seems more of a case of using the watchman framework and applying it to the conversation now this is um, yeah this is what i was trying to say that it's it's like using the watchman mirror so to speak and holding that mirror up to the modern world because that's that's what i view watchman as it, it it is a mirror that you can hold to something to show it its true self. But yeah, but like it, it seems to be have a, quite a common eye on sort of what the current socio-political landscape is, mm. definitely in America, mm. but I think in parts of the wider world as well. And it, yeah, I was very, I wasn't expecting such overt politicism like on the first page. So it's, it's definitely. Um, Striking. I mean, you could argue in some fa- facets that it's just uh, sitting in the middle, not really picking the thing. But considering the character who's saying this, it makes a lot of sense. 
So I think it was very strong leading, and there's so there's a lot of like interesting uh, themes going on. There's a lot of like religious uh, uh, verbiage. Like there's a lot of talk of God's plan and referring to characters as God and uh, things sort of being like almost preordained. Um, and it, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's intrigued me for these twelve issues. So unless next month's issue is complete garbage, I think I'm gonna gonna sit on sit on this doomsday train and uh, see where it goes. Um, I think the Gary Frank's uh, like uh, art uh, is really cool. Uh, it's it, I don't know. In some ways, it reminds me of Gibbons' art, but it doesn't feel like it's aping it. If you know what I mean. Yeah, no, yeah, he 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 um he kind of he kind of tries to step into those shoes, and I think he fills them quite well, um, without just straight ripping Givens off, basically, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, so I think it's pretty cool. I think the uh, Brad Anderson's uh, colors are really cool, and I like his uh, alt mm. cover. Like, it's it's a weird one because I still have that feeling of it feels exploitative in a way because making a sequel or carrying on the story of Watchmen and whatever thing, it obviously it feels like sacrilege, but even forgetting that, it feels a bit opportunistic, uh, like bringing the world of Watchmen into the main world of, of, of DC. So I'm just hoping that they're using, by doing this, they're using the Watchmen uh, stuff universe to say and do some really interesting things. Yeah in these 12 issues so i i'm on board um for now i still think you shouldn't touch watchmen but i'm sort of treating it like it's an an elseworlds non-canon side story where they can do what they want like an old man logan type thing so yeah. I'm, I'm interested in, into si- in, in seeing where they go with this and yeah like from, from what i've read of like uh jeff johns over the years I am a fan of what he's doing and I yeah. can see how he sort of got to the top of DC. So yeah, I'm willing to follow his lead and see what happens. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this first issue. And as I've, as has already been mentioned, that lenticular cover is beautiful. Um, but I know that somewhere, wherever Alan Moore is, there is colourful language to follow when he sees that. <laughs> If he's you, seen that, do you think he even cares now? <laughs> I don't know. Do you think he's given up that fight now? He just doesn't care. I mean, they made a movie about it that was had hyper violent fighting and stuff and action scenes. Like, and he, do you think he's just divorced from it all and doesn't care? Or do you think he's uh, just like uh, brewing up a spell? I think. I think he's just. Uh, yeah, I think he's sitting there, just you know impotent rage or whatever maybe there's a bonfire going in his back garden maybe he's swearing at the bonfire i don't know but i think i think wherever he is i don't think he's happy with it but i mean what can you do i i like it i like this cover i like i like what they're doing with it and um i yes i mean as an opening chapter i think this is great and I love where it's going so far. I like that it's, um, I guess my conclusions are that it, it's it's a tribute, but it also isn't afraid to tread new ground and continue what the original Watchmen started, I guess, in the way that it's looking at the superhero genre. It sets up something grand and intriguing, and I'm 
yeah, I'm 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 hyped for issue two. So we'll see where that one goes. On from there, these are the uh, so as I mentioned before, I've been reading some Punisher comics. Um, I've been picking up uh, Punisher the Platoon, which is a new Punisher release. We're up to issue three now. And this is Garth Ennis and uh, Goran Pavlov on art duties with uh, Geordie Belair doing the colours. Um, now this is the story of Frank Castle's first military tour. So the first, and, and this is the first time he took a life basically. Uh, that's in these books. Uh, the moments that shaped him basically and the things that he never really left behind when he came home from Vietnam. Because this is Frank Castle in Vietnam. Um, the whole premise of this that I'm getting so far is that he's always had a, a natural talent and a predisposition for violence and for battle. So it's like there's always been something there with this guy um, that he's 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 a natural for it, you know. This is just what he does, basically. Although he's supposedly inexperienced and has no combat experience when he gets to the battlefield at the start of issue one... Uh, the soldiers that he is in command of have realised that he, you know, okay, this guy, he doesn't have any any experience, but he knows already. And it's the format of the story as if it's told by the men he served alongside in Vietnam. So his first command. So these people were under his command. These guys are sitting around a table in a bar and they're doing an interview with a writer who wants to write a book about Frank Castle's first tour, um, a writer who has written another book about Frank Castle already. Um, and this is all done from the point of view of the writer. So when we're viewing through panels and we're seeing the uh, the actual... Um, the, the, when we're seeing these, these veterans as, as they are supposedly today, sitting around a table in a bar um, as old men we're seeing this from the writer's point of view. So we're looking through the writer's eyes from their perspective at, you know, like these four guys sitting opposite us at a table drinking as they're talking, which I think is pretty cool. I love that panel layout. And I love that we, we never really see the writer's face, like as if we are the writer the whole time kind of thing. Um, and it sort of like flips between the bar and flashbacks to Vietnam. The art in this book is beautiful. Goran Pavlov does an excellent job with facial expressions and the way that he manages to put across emotion in some of these faces as well. Because a lot of this, as I said, being uh, panels in a bar um, and, and being a conversation around a table from somebody else's perspective, a lot of this is focused on facial expressions and, you know, like small movements with hands and things like that when people are talking. And I think, I think Goran Pavlov does a very good job of that. That's really cool. Like I like, always find when you see those like uh, intimate details or sort of closer, um, more nuanced movements. It's something that gets lost, mm. I think, in like comics and like cartoons, like in animation. And I always find it really cool and refreshing when you do actually see them in those mediums. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they do like a panel by panel, bow by bow of someone's hand moving. But, you know, like when you look between two panels, you get the impression that someone's hand might be making a motion as he's talking and things like that, because you can yeah. see it. And I think that's pretty cool. 
it's uh it's it's a war story it takes you through his first tour of vietnam and and like i said it, it just basically charts his um his first kill and his his predisposition supposed predisposition to violence and to to you know efficiency on the battlefield and the way the punisher behaves so you know we've he's like the ultimate supposedly the ultimate um killing machines is very adept with guns and weapons and knows exactly what he's doing like he he does what he does to survive he 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 has a job and he's very driven and he gets that job done no matter what he has to do to get that job done and that is what the impression we're getting in this story and it's very nice to sort of see his his beginnings like this is kind of his origin before his origin kind of thing we've also got uh running through this book as well we get to see things from the the Viet Cong side of things so uh the Viet Cong being the uh the the opposite side of things in the Vietnam War we get to see things from their point of view and um the there's a part in the book where the writer goes as far as saying well actually you know I've I've interviewed a surviving general who fought against you guys and fought against Frank Castle I've already got his side of things you know and from going from being this general in the war to now being this sort of like gentle old man who he likes America according to what he says about it and uh, according to the writer you know he oh yeah I know this guy loves America he's been here a few times since the war ended kind of thing you know so it just it gets that kind of side of things as well and it feels like you know like you get these documentaries and, and there's this whole sense of that even when people are fighting a war they're fighting for their country but after that war you know that they're just people they don't actually hate what they're fighting against they're doing it because they're told to because they're following orders kind of thing if you understand what I'm, where i'm coming from with that hmm. like a um you get a sense of, of kind of a feeling of what what it might be to be a soldier because you're going to war and you're doing it because you're told to and you you know you know there's no it's not personal on the battlefield, I guess. I think is is the point they're trying to get across, you know. I don't think it's a. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I, I I'm really enjoying this so far, and as a Punisher story, it's really good. Um, and as I said, this is something I started reading off the back of watching the Netflix show, so I'm really I'm really enjoying this. Uh, that is a good three issues. Um, Next on my list is Kill the Minotaur, because that is now finished. So I can talk about how I thought about all six together. Um, so, like, especially in this last issue as well, very David Cronenberg. The whole thing's been very David Cronenberg. I've, I've really enjoyed this series as a fresh take on an age-old tale. I mean, I like the labyrinth, the fact that in this, the labyrinth is actually alive. And and while it's working with the Minotaur, it's also working against the Minotaur. And the whole origin of this living labyrinth thing and this, this Minotaur creature that runs through these books, because I have talked about it on previous um, episodes of Ace Comicals, he's like, it came from the sky, but is it extraterrestrial? Is it divine? We, we don't know. There's so many influences within this story. And, and facets of different genres you've got horror historical action sci-fi fantasy all rolled into one book and when the trade comes out i'd say guys buy the trade because this book is brilliant um i mean the artwork itself is it's absolutely gorgeous and uh we have um lucas ketner and jean-francois bolio to thank for that i mean the covers have been brilliant on this as well 
like really intricate really sort of like disgusting monster designs um and as i said really cronenberg-esque with it's like so you know like this kind of like biological mess of bits and pieces and limbs and organs and things and everything on the outside kind of thing so everything looks raw and untamed and just like 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 you've opened something up and turned it inside out like it should be bleeding constantly <laughs> everything everything looks very alive and very biological and very body part. body horror yeah yeah that's what i'm getting from the the, the the um the way the labyrinth looks in this as well it's all like like the thing has a skeleton almost you know bones and stuff like that um and it's very bloody and it's very very cool and very um even like you know you get a sense of the um like the oh, i don't know it's just prevalent throughout it like the way they've they've done the historical stuff and whatever you get a sense that they've really sort of looked into this and done their research um and at the same time they've also taken influences from modern great modern stories and great modern films and modern genres and really packed it together into one heavy devastating punch of a six issue series I I really enjoyed that one, and um, I think um, did you ever read any of it, Ray? Because I don't know if you said you read issue one or. No, I didn't. But I do have a colleague who's been picking them up yeah. month by month, and she seems to be a big fan. She agrees with what you said about it, um, taking historical references and then just slightly riffing on them with modern ideals, mm. and I think that really appealed to her. So anyone else who has that kind of uh, desire for something which you know is steeped in ancient mythology, but brought to you know brought to modern standards i think yeah it sounds like it it would appeal to we we will be seeing the trade soon yeah and it's one that i've been waiting for the trade to come out to actually catch in for because i i missed the beginning of the run um i think if i'd have caught the first one then i would have continued with it because i flipped through Mm. i flipped through my friends and it does look really interesting but um yeah i'm looking forward to the trade coming out yeah no it's it's a good one um on from there i'm at the end of my list um it's uh another one from me for the uh dark knights metal event <laughs> which i seem to be every time we do a cast at the moment i'm picking one of these out is this the one this is the one, one i've been waiting for this is the one this is the batman who laughs so this is the dark knights metal the batman who laughs and first of all the cover is this kind of hellraiser cenobite-ish batman design with this huge smile he's like nothing but a smile and part of the batman cowl and some spikes and some leather and some chains and some crazy jokerized robins on chains um now this again it's another twisted tale of a batman who should not be but this one really should not be Uh, This explores the idea of the fact that, you know how Batman is always prepared for everything and has a plan to be everyone and has a way around most people's powers and things like that. Well, what if he was compromised in some way? He would become the most dangerous man in the universe. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Um, He's... Basically, the, 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 the whole idea of this is the Joker has gone too far, way too far, and he's pushed Batman over the brink, 
and Batman breaks his one golden rule and finally kills the Joker. Um, that's his bad decision in this book. And from there, this is where things start to spiral down and it charts his dis- slow descent into madness. And this is like something to do with a failsafe that the Joker had in place, which I'm not going to spoil for you, but it's uh, it's pretty cool the way this is the way this pans out and the way that they've written that in there um you've got just a really uncomfortable read of batman slowly slowly falling into the abyss and doing uncomfortable and horrible things to his friends his colleagues his family you know it's just so it it's i mean it even says at the start of the book if you're looking for you know the usual sort of the way the usual thing will play out this is not it it is wrong and it is supposed to be wrong and it feels wrong to read it but i thought it was really good and a really good sort of deconstruction um of what would happen if the joker kind of got his way and and his master plan of creating something that is the best of him and the best of the batman and combining those into one thing one horrible violent cold calculating unstoppable force um on this one we've got art by riley rosmo uh, the cover itself is by jason Farbuck and it is written by james t tinian fourth james t tinian the fourth um i I enjoyed this start to finish. Uh, the artwork is is really good, actually. I really I really like the the art style in this book. I like the way it's done. Um, I like the way they draw the Joker in the beginning of this book. I, I I like that it's 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 got like this this sort of like cartoon edge to it, but at the same time, it's nasty. You know, <laughs> like they get that they get the violence across, and it's like really graphic, but at the same time really cartoony which i really enjoy about this uh the way they like the facial expressions and everything are, are exaggerated and cartoonish but it's very graphic um and the features of the characters as well uh, i just it's so yeah i mean it, it's um it's uncomfortable but it's meant to be it's a horror story and i i think that's probably one of the better entries into this dark knight's metal event so far yeah, how have you felt about the uh, the run as a whole so far? The run as a whole so far, I've been really impressed with. Um, I I'm liking all these different these different views of Batman that we've been given. These different kind of looks into these like dark um, dark multiverses uh, in, into these different kind of like sort of snapshots of the dark multiverse we've been getting. And I like what it's setting up and where it's going for the sort of like the closing of the event, which I mean, there's only a few issues of it left now, I think, before it's all done. Uh, And we get at the end of this one, um, we get that basically there's nightmare versions of other familiar figures in the DC universe that are ready to invade uh, from the Dark Multiverse. And it's like every nightmare that every nightmare that the multiverse has ever had that like the, the you know the normal dc multiverse every nightmare that multiverse has ever had is made manifest in the dark multiverse and all of it is like baying at the gates ready to come so we're going to get like a big battle at the end 
and we're going to get to see nightmarish versions of other familiar characters. Um, but no, yeah. So so far, I'm I'm really into this book so far. Uh, really into this run so far. Definitely, one hundred percent. So yeah, no, that was uh, Dark Knight's Metal, the Batman who laughs. Yeah, no, that that is a good entry into the event, definitely. And I'm really enjoying it so far. And I think when when the trade comes out, obviously you guys are going to pick it up and read it, which you should. Yeah, uh, it, it's something that I've been holding out on because it's either an idea that will fly or an idea that will will fail miserably. Um, so I've been waiting to see how um, things have uh, have come out. But it, it sounds like they've nailed a lot of the concepts um, so far from mm. what you've said. So I'm interested in um, checking it out when I when everything everything's there available for me. No, definitely. Uh, two two things I've been really impressed with from DC this year is that Dark Knight's Metal event and um, Mister Miracle. Mm. So DC, like I said, DC are doing well this year with uh, Mister Miracle. Um, we've got some really cool Batman comics, and uh, we've got Doomsday Clock now as well. So yeah, no, I've been definitely definitely been impressed with DC overall this year. So I guess we move on to your list now, Leon. Yes, Greg. Could I interest you? In a minky woodcock. What's a minky woodcock? <laughs> a minky woodcock is a new comic uh, uh, written by and art done by uh, Cynthia von uh, Berler, I, w- I want to say. Um, and what it is, pretty much, um, is a 1920s set sort of detective story slash film noir um, feeling type story. Okay. Um, about a woman who works for her father's sort of private detective agency. And while he is away, a very famous author comes by uh, wanting his help, his assistance, but he's not around. So, uh, and uh, Minky's very much uh, wanting to prove herself and be on the big guns and, uh, jump in and have her first uh first mission i should say whatever um so she uh, offers to um follow said author and go down this weird uh well the beginning of this this rabbit hole that we can only assume is going to end up uh, with Houdini. Um, the full title, Minky Woodcock, and uh, I believe this will be the title of this run, is The uh, the Girl Who Handcuffed Houdini. Um, and yes, it's, it's quite an interesting book. I mean, I think Rahul's the one who found this, and he linked it in the uh, the Ace Comicals chat, and we were like, what? It, like, the title sounds like filth, and I think uh, <laughs> part of that is just inspired because you there's a lot there's a history of like sort of cool um or interesting like femme fatale type characters or um characters in general who have just like weird names from that era that sometimes uh feel like innuendo but um yeah this book is is quite interesting i mean i i do love a good detective story and there's a lot of uh shout outs to various uh, authors like agatha christie and uh, offer Conan Doyle um, and yeah it feels like the author is very much aware of like the lineage of of these and has created this this world which is 
like lived in and sort of like a romantic take on it but it's i know it it's very much it's hard to describe the art because it has that sort of pop art type feel but done in an older style so characters look more realistic than normal like their their expressions almost like they're rotoscoped Mm. but not in that high uh high facial detail way that you get in some other comics so it's like this nice sort of middle ground like of like a lot of like stark um like block colors in some ways but then that the way like the clothes and and the hair is done it's like a, a really cool use of like the digital art and yeah and, and it's it's quite it's different from what you're seeing in, in a lot of the other comics that you've been reading recently so um yeah um i've been enjoying that and um i have to give a shout out to the letterer as well simon mm. berlin because the comic does start off um with uh the main character um like using a typewriter and like uh, ty- typing up an entry and I think the way how the different uh, bubbles are used and uh, the way how the typeface is done and changes, and even the art style kind of changes from uh, bit to bit um, as we progress through the comic. Um, I think it, I think it's quite cool, and it's a, it's a really weird story. Like this is this is probably not. I wouldn't recommend reading this on the bus or train into work <laughs> because uh, it get it gets a bit it gets a bit a bit spicy weird. And spicy, risque, yeah. Yeah. yeah, risque, yeah. Maybe a bit of raunch, but not in any <laughs> particular sleazy way. Just in a quite a uh, weird naturalistic way. Um, and yeah, the story takes some early turns, and then it ends in quite a not abrupt way, but it ends in sort of like a jump cut. Which at first I was like, huh, but I guess it it it, it works as a, a dramatic device. So I'm interested to see what happens going forward and i'm hoping this is the uh cool noirish detective story set in the underbelly um with all these weird sort of famous celebrities that i didn't know that i wanted but um yeah no it, it, it's cool and um like it has like six covers or something and like at least four of those are wildly sexy in weird ways so like um there's definite like cool uh intent going on here and it's it's nice to sort of see something a bit different and sort of a reverse of the uh detective femme fatale trope in some ways so um yeah i'm I'm definitely interested in it and just uh when you're reading it watch out for that seance sequence (laughs) i do um i do like the artwork in this it feels very um of the time that it is supposed to be depicting so you know when you see sort of old advertising yeah and the way they draw people with like bold lines you know Mm. not so much detail um but then the colors like the pastel color like uh, colors are very sort of nuanced and i mean you've got like the bright pop colors as well but like when they do skin tone and when they do like the blush on the cheeks and things like that oh yeah i love that yeah but this is it's very like 1920s advertising i think like i can imagine like an absinthe poster or something well an absinthe like you know like a metal um oh yeah you've nailed it like a poster or like um the icon that would be on the actual package and of whatever the thing is yeah but more more i'm thinking the kind of like uh, metal plate etching type things they hang behind bars 
Mm. So so it would be it would be printed onto like a, a tin plate or whatever, and it would be that kind of style of art where it's like embossed like and then painted. Alleyway yeah, near the back the back door to like a speakeasy. Yeah, embossed and then painted kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or the kind of thing you find on like a snake oil tonic. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to point out, um, apart from the implied smut of the title, uh, the thing that first caught my eye was actually the the first cover because it has this really cool watercolor style with um, with Minky Woodcock in profile, but it mm. like a- attached on top, like so over this you know watercolor wash, it has what looks like newspaper cuttings from a newspaper that was describing Houdini or an advert for Houdini as the world's most famous magician. And it, I just thought that was really cool. That's what grabbed my attention. And it's odd that like the turn it takes, we're not really sure what this has to do with Houdini, um, for, at least for the majority of the comic. And I wonder if all these, you know, um, literary celebrities that we get in the, in this first issue, I wonder if they're going to keep coming up in following issues or if it's just a an excuse plot to bring in someone like Houdini or just you know a, re- a way mm. to set the the tone but either way I really liked what this one was doing um and I'll yeah because it, it could sort of be like a um you know Midnight in Paris the uh Woody Allen film mm. uh, where Owen Wilson's in Paris and he's randomly getting transported back in time and people like um F. Scott Fitzgerald are about, um, and it, it could be uh, like uh, von uh, Buller as um, like way to sort of mess around with that and uh, interact with all these people and sort of make a comment on those times and like celebrity then and now. Mm, so it, it could be cool. It, it feels like a less risque version of this could be a something like a left of field cinema release or something like a Wes, Wes Anderson style thing. Yeah. And it's very romantic in that all of these, again, uh, celebrities of the time are all involved in this one story in one go. It does have that yeah. feel where everything's interconnected. Yeah. Mm. But no, I, I, I read issue one. I enjoyed issue one. It was pretty good. I, as I mean, I'm not usually, I don't know. I, don't, I read detective stories, but I read different kinds of detective stories. Because mm. Batman stories are detective what stories. You're saying is Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I mean, I, it's not something that I would have chosen off the shelf myself without you two telling me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's my surprise hit of the week. I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pleasantly surprised by this. No, yeah, I, I was. I was surprised when I read it. I think it's pretty good. Um, what I'll talk about next. I won't go into too much detail because um, Rahul covered it last week, which is the uh, Beautiful Death by uh, Mathieu Bablé. I'm going to say oh, Bablé. Sweet. And the uh, let- lettering, he he did the writing and art, and the letters were done by Cat Connery. I'm bringing that up because I think the letters, lettering pretty cool in this as well. But um, yeah, like following on from what Rahul said, uh, yeah, I agree with all those points. I would say that, uh, especially the sort of changing seasons point that you made last time, which mm. you uh, you mentioned, like The Last of Us mm. in, in the same breath. And yeah, I definitely um, uh, got that feeling as well. And I thought it, it handled a lot of things really well. Like, I like the sort of cold open, if you can call it that, in a comic. Um, mm where um, it's this character 
um, just sitting on like on the roof of building, just looking out, um, and like immediately you just get the feeling. I mean, there's some some dialogue or words that are written before building up, but you just get this feeling of like time has passed. It's just like it's not like uh, the events happened like last week like time has happened and like the 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 silent the silence of the of the of like the city is deafening and like i've just taken back by like how detailed the panels are Mm. Uh, like the 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 line art is this so lovely like gives a lot of depth and like scale um to to the locations um and as characters uh, traverse um like the space they're in it does feel very tangible um but also like very cold um and like every panel are just like whoa like how, how is this person doing this like how much time is this taken like some of like and it's like there's no not sort of cheating of like fog or haze or whatever. It's just like you can see all these buildings, all these windows, all these fire escapes, all these like uh, outside um, like steps, and all these different levels. Uh, these vehicles that are abandoned and crashed. And it's like there's such a dense level of detail there, and I've just got to admire it because it looks really really cool. And the art style reminds me of like. Uh, like older uh, like French sci-fi which which I thought was pretty cool and like so some of the framing and like some of the long shots like they convey not just the scale but they also convey like you can feel the loss that people are feeling in this and it, it's a really good comic for that sort of battles against our current uh, generation where we're like minimaxing uh, what we eat mm. uh, or consume mm. uh, creatively or like media wise and a lot I know that there are people who like read manga chapters in like in like five minutes because they're just bouncing from each word and each text box and each on- onomatopoeia but I've always been really slow with reading comics because I like to breathe in every panel and I think this is a comic that demands it. Yeah. And you'd be doing yourself a disservice as, as well as uh, the artist because there's just so much, like, uh, cool detail in there. Um, but it all informs the... the like, it's, it's all texture for the story and it, it builds the atmosphere and you can almost hear the echo as you're reading, like, dialogue boxes. Mm. Um, yeah, it's one that you just really need to drink in, and like even like wordless panels, the way actions and movement is is portrayed, and time uh, is it's really interesting, and it, it's definitely something that I've, I've gelled with. Um, I just love the way it captures like this cold ennui, uh, like just this this almost inevitability of like waiting to die. Yeah, and like it's like you have emptiness, you have melancholy, you have that weird feeling of uh, chasing ghosts, and like 
things out of the corner of your eye and what like and then it's just entertaining yourself in, in weird ways and I think it handles that really well I've only read the first issue but uh, I think luckily I've got two more or three more issues waiting for me think, but um yeah there's, there's yeah, two like, more because there's three at the moment okay yeah well yeah from what from what I've read so far it's um definitely be a good recommendation um I'm looking forward to reading more no I've I've actually read through issue one now as well and I agree with every single thing you've said <laughs> no i'm really i really enjoy this i really enjoy the artwork and i've always been an advocate of taking your time over reading a comic comic isn't something that you can just i mean people will do it in five minutes or whatever but it's not something you should do in five minutes because there's a reason people put so much effort into the art especially in like independently produced stuff and it's it's really good to just sort of sit and appreciate um, each panel and each page and take it as a whole and just just to just to kind of see how the how it flows from one panel to another and how each um how each movement is translated and and how each especially with this book as well like how um it transition between panels like it's very um seamless it's all very well considered. It is, like yes. You can tell that yeah. he sat down and really thought about mm. how how the, the flow of the page works. Yeah. Which, when you when you read something like this, you realise how surprisingly rare that is. Because mm. I mean, I think I think, I think it, to a degree everyone considers it because it's um, it, it's something that you definitely obviously you have to take it into account when you're making a comic like how the page will flow and how mm. you um, how how you're going to convey your message and your story but this i think you can actually you can actually see that it's a labor of love in the way that yeah he's i done think it. i think we've made this comparison before between say art house movies and you know your general hollywood fair yeah and i think this is another one of those where it has just that extra step of consideration and care in in the same way that uh you know an artistic director may plan out their their framing a little bit more thoroughly than somebody who's just making a standard hollywood action flick yeah that's that's the thing i'm getting from this and it's really it's really i don't know it's joyful to read through something that's this passionately made i think Mm. um one thing i do want to point out about this was i was talking to uh, one of the ladies who works in my local comic book shop and she pointed out that it originally came out in france in may of 2011 so it's surprisingly old comic that's so it's taken that long to get it over here to get a wide release for it yeah and i again i picked it up just on the strength of knowing that brandon graham did the the original sorry did the cover for issue number one of the english re-release um i don't know if you guys felt the same way as me about that where i picked it up because i like brandon graham i really like some of the stuff he's done in the past but i think that the cover he did for this comic betrays how how detailed and how beautiful the panels within the comic are. I think his cover is just a little bit more flat than than what you find inside. And I, I think it's a little bit of a shame, in fact, to have his slightly more stark artwork on, you know, to, to covering up Mathieu's really detailed painterly style. Yeah. How do you feel about that? No, I, I, <clears throat> I actually agree with you. Um, the cover itself is very minimalist. Whereas when mm. you when you open the book and you start to flick through some of the pages, I mean, um, 
the amount of detail and the amount of uh, just, just lines, lines depicting cracks on walls, lines depicting expression on people's faces, lines depicting um, like uh, when when you sit on a chair and the upholstery kind of sinks inward. You know that just that anything you know is it's compared to the cover. It's just so much more, and it does. Yeah, I think it does. It does sort of betray what what's inside it, definitely. But then again, you shouldn't judge books by the cover, should you? No, you shouldn't, <laughs> unless the cover is done by one of your favorite artists, in which case, yeah. pick it up and then be pleasantly surprised by what's inside. It. Yes. <laughs> no, um, I I really enjoyed issue one, and I like. Um, I like this whole like the hopelessness kind of thing that these people seem to they're, they're trying to um trying to hold on to hope but it's getting tougher and tougher because obviously what's left what is there this isn't your standard apocalypse as you described last time it's um it's the infrastructure still there it's just the people aren't hmm. well I'm glad you guys are vibing with it and- yeah yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to carry on with it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm in with it definitely. Um, yeah. So, uh, Leon, anything else left on your list? Yeah, I've got one more thing that I'll speak about today. I won't uh, go too far into it because uh, it's, it's quite short, but it's, it's worth a read. Um, comic called uh, Your Black Friend, and it's by uh, it's written and the art's done by uh, Ben Passmore and the best way to describe it really is as a say very direct and intimate long form poem uh, focused on the complexities and contradictions of trying to like navigate the world uh, while being black and uh, the nuances of that and uh, the complexities. I've said that already, but it, it really is. It really does uh, like dig into that, but without being like a, a, a ten thousand word essay. So um, yeah, it really is. Like it's really short. It's about eleven pages, um, and I think it started life um, online as uh, like a, a web comic that the artist, uh, that the right artist, uh, wanted to, to put up. And then they made it into a. Uh, uh, they got it released um, in print form and uh, gave it a nice um, color job. And yeah, it looks great. I mean, it's super, super, super independent feeling. Um, and it was sort of. It was one of those ones where when you buy it, you get that feeling that the money is going directly into the, uh, the creator's hands. Mm. But um, yeah, the, I mean. The, I'd heard this mentioned, can't remember where, but I'd heard this, I'd read this mentioned somewhere while I, while I was doing research on another comic book, and I thought, okay, let me give this a shot. Uh, it wasn't available on like Comicsology or anything like that, so I looked on Amazon, saw it, it doesn't cost too much, and uh, I knew how short it was, but I thought, yeah, well, let me give this a go. I mean, I've not been buying much physical stuff recently, so let me give this a go. And it, it's an, it's an interesting read. I think. The physical version came out in the US late last year, and then it came out over here earlier in the year. 
Um, so I've had it for a while. I just haven't got around to reading it. But um, yeah, no, it, it, it's cool because it, it, it handles normal sort of microaggressions that I can identify with. Um, and it presents them in not an overtly comic way, but in some ways comic. Um, and like not really hyperbolized, but more sort of broad in some ways. And and I quite like that. I like how subjective it is and how it's not this big teaching element. I mean, the way it's presented is a lot of the panels start with, um, like with, with the phrase, your black friend. And it's, uh, it, 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 it's like faux instructional um, by giving like um, anecdotes to things that people of color, especially black in the US have to deal with um, and all the triple thinking you have to do in certain situations, especially with your proximity to white people and the sort of casual offhand racism that you experience there, but also the blowback from that, that you get from other black people. So it is quite um, in the, in that smaller number of pages, it, it hits a lot of issues quite well, I think. Um, and it, it's such a, a quick read. Um, and I think it's a nice, in some ways for some people, it'd be an interesting introduction to that because I know there's a lot of people who don't even consider these things. Um and it would be an interesting read without, like, pointing the finger at, uh, and being accusatory. But there's a lot of a lot of truth there, and uh, there's a lot of there that um, I can, like, gel with and vibe with. Um, I really like, uh, I think it's on the first page, there's um, a woman best described as a eat, pray, love uh, woman. And um, she's talking about call, uh, her calling the police on this uh, guy that she thought looked dodgy and uh, her descriptors are, are so interesting because she just says uh, oh it was, I think it was just some like black guy with like dreads and blah blah and then when she mentions the vehicle she goes into granular detail um, and when you play those off against the descriptors it shows you how that uh, those sort of biases and uh, stereotypes are like super common but then the mega issue there is that people don't really confront this stuff when they hear it because nobody wants to cause a scene. Uh, nobody wants to have an awkward moment. And I, I've definitely been there uh, on every on like on the side of that as being the person who is is the is like the target or target adjacent, and also the person who's been in a situation where they should have spoken up about something else. And it's just like, I don't think people often consider the mind fuck you get from being a person of color in like very white uh, cultures. And there's often default passive things that people who proclaim to be allies say and do um, and the over comfortability of certain words and actions that you have to contend with as well. And I think it's super effective in doing this in, in such a small uh, space of time. Um, I, w- I would definitely uh, recommend it. It's like highly in- inspired by 
the works of uh, Franz Fanon, especially um, Black Skin, White Mask from the 50s, which was mostly about the psychological psychological effects of colonization on black people. Um, uh, yeah, I would definitely uh, give it a read. I mean, it's harder to get. You'd have to like buy the physical version, but it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not too bad, and it's not as preachy as you may feel from the title or the topic. But I, I know with some of these things, you're, you're either in with this stuff, like, oh, you want to read about all these type of things, or you just keep it away from me. And I think a lot, I think with various different topics, we should be trying to lessen the uh, keep it away from me and at least trying to engage in stuff that we're not always as comfortable with. But yeah, that's my take. This 100% sounds like something I would want to pick up. And to your point, I think the title Your Black Friend immediately sounds less confrontational than say something like Dear White People. Um, Yeah. So I yeah I I I think I'd pick this up. Anything that gives me a new perspective on something that I may never have known to even begin to consider, you know. So yeah, I think I'll be checking this out, especially because it's so easy to pick up off Amazon. Yeah, this is this is something that I when you mentioned it actually before the cast, um, I I looked at it and I thought it would be something that I wanted to read. I actually wanted to try and get like a PDF version of it before the cast to try and blaster it before the cast, so I'd be able to say that I'd read it but unfortunately I couldn't get that because obviously it's physical only which is a really which is kind of cool in this day and age actually that it is physical only I like that um and which was also weird because it's not how it started I think it started online yeah <laughs> so it's kind of cool yeah so I think I think I will um I'll be picking that up from Amazon as well definitely yeah one thing I'll just add it does like a really interesting thing with how it's written um like it's written with a sort of a mix of like net speak um where like like purposefully like the the start of sentences aren't always capitals and you have the odd typo in there and i kind of mm-hmm. at first i thought oh wow like how like, oh, there's a there's a spelling mistake here but then the more i'm reading through it it's like the intent there is really cool because it does feel like this super direct thing that you that this web comic or this like forum post um, that has now been given art, and you know it's it's cool and immediate, and it's not uh, like it it doesn't bash you over the head. It, mm. it isn't actual like text speak, but um, yeah, it has this very um, sort of like what's the word like familiar, uh, just sort of casual tone to it, and it, it makes it quite an easy read. Like somebody sending you a text message or an email or um maybe yeah maybe, more like long form like a forum post yeah someone replying to something you've said on reddit or something like that mm. yeah. yeah no yeah that does that sounds like a really good read and it is something that i will i will want to pick up and upon reading because I've, I've read that first page which you mentioned the coffee shop scenario mm. um that's that's the page that i read because that's the page that's kind of available as a preview um, yeah, that comes up on Google Images when you search for it. Yeah, that's that's. I've read that first page, and I want to read the rest of it now. <laughs> so yeah, it does just sound pretty cool, like a good read. Um, I guess we move on to you, Ray. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try not to spend too much time on these. I'm trying to blast through them because I know we're getting on a bit. Um, but for the Black Friday sale on Comicsology, I picked up a bunch of just different cheap volumes and whatnot. So one of these was called Blank Slate, um, which is by a writer called Boulet. I think that's his his or her pen name. Um, and the art is by Penelope Bagieux. Bagieux. And so this is a comic from March 2016. It's about a girl who wakes up on a bench in Paris with no memory of where she is, how she got there, or who she is herself. Um, so we kind of follow her as she traces her steps through the city of Paris, trying to understand how she got to this place, you know, what's been happening to her. She kind of wakes up on this bench with tears in her eyes, wondering, has she been crying, you know, with no memory of it? Um and what I really liked about this comic is that it spends a lot of time focusing on the minutiae of dealing with this this affliction that she's got. And it's, it is somewhat of a Hollywood type of amnesia in that she can remember, you know, how to function. She can remember how to navigate the city and, you know, social structures and whatnot, but she just can't remember her name or her address and, you know, personal details like that. And so we kind of, we see her struggle with the thought process of how to, you know, uh, locate and enter her apartment, for example, um, without looking suspicious. Um, another one is that it takes uh, like half the book to get into her laptop because she's, you know, she has no recollection of the password. Um, and one of the things I love is that we get these extended scenes of her going over these potential scenarios in her head. Um, so, for example, an early one, um, as she's about to enter her apartment, uh, she's got the key in the lock and she's about to turn it and we get four panels you know so the page is cut up into four four blocks of her opening the door and seeing you know various scenes that could potentially be the case so you know we see her entering the room onto a scared stranger you know she's entered somebody else's apartment or um, there's a dead body on the floor with her name written on the wall or a surprise birthday party or you know some mysterious figures waiting to chloroform her and take her away and then you flip the page and then there's four more and you flip the page and there's four more of them. Like this, these, some of these flights of fantasy or, you know, the, uh, her wild imagination running off, I have these really extended sequences and it's, it's really clever. Like there's a lot of imagination put into this. Um, it's really creative and like, it's a terrifying look into the mindset of someone who would be this, this dislocated from herself because of what she's going through. And so from the start of the book, like literally from the very first few pages, we get this sense that despite not knowing herself, she doesn't really like herself or rather the version of herself that she used to be. So one one of the the things that is really well presented, really like a really deft touch is that she keeps blowing the fringe out of her hair. Like it's obviously this thing that the person she used to be before she lost her memory would have made the decision to have that fringe haircut. But the person she is now finds it extremely frustrating and every few panels she's like blowing it out of her hair um so it carries on with her discovering more about herself and the life that she used to have and the friends that she used to have and what she's made of her life and i don't want to spoil it so i'm gonna stop there but it all kind of builds into this really sweet and satisfying conclusion um and i, I think you guys should check it out um mm. i haven't i haven't talked about the artwork it's it's very pretty um, it's really like simple wobbly line drawings where everything's kind of a little bit scribbly, um, but everyone's really realistically proportioned. Um, and the characters and the settings are really expressive. Like you really get this sense of Paris from them. And one of the things I like um, about the art is how, like how simple the scribbles are, but they give way to like really subtle, but telling body language. Like you get these, um, you get to see, 
between the different panels, the way she shrugs her shoulders or the way that she's, you know, touching her hair or playing with her hair and stuff like that. There's, I don't know, I just think it's really special. It's very, and very abstract. Would you say? Kind of. I mean, the, yeah. the, 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 the art style is kind of abstract, but it allows for this, like, really deft touch in, like, her body language and how she's slightly uncomfortable mm. in herself. And I think that's that's one of the main themes of the journey is trying to find who she she's trying to find out who she is and who she was and what that means for her now and trying to regain her memory the struggle she goes through to to get her memory back and it's all very down to earth there's nothing that fantastical about it but um yeah i think honestly if you're going to pick it up for just anything it's worth it for the daydream sequences i don't want to i don't want to give too much away about where they go but there's some really clever stuff going on there um so yeah that was blank slate by writer boulet and art by penelope Bagio. And then the next thing that I picked up was called Maxwell's Demon. Sorry, Maxwell's Demons. Right, so this is art by Denise Camp and art and cover art by Vittorio Astone. Um, I literally just read this before we started recording, so I haven't really had much time to let it gestate. So I think I might save my full impression for next month when issue two is hopefully out and hopefully you guys you know may have picked it up as well um so the thing that sold me on it was that it's by vault comics who's you know a publishing company that i've been quite impressed with lately where i think they also did spiritus which i liked and i need to catch up with everything after issue one um but also that it was penned as being it has lots of comparisons to Sandman. And having read it, I think the comparisons are pretty apt, both visually and narratively. So it's all about this young kid who um, doesn't have the happiest home life. Yeah, we see his dad being pretty pretty cruel to him. And he escapes into his fantasy land where he's playing with his toys. And he's basically, he's, he's very similar in some ways to the character of Dream of the Endless in that he's a shaper. We see him diving into his into his fantasy and it it may or may not be real it's never it's not really given away that strictly in this first issue but he's weaving his way through his own stories and there's um you know genuine threat i i feel whether it's you know real or not it feels very threatening um and it's just him jumping at the call to be something more within his own mind Mm. um i i really liked it i'm gonna carry on to issue number two um a big part of this is the structure where it ends. It feels like it should have ended. And then it has an epilogue, which carries on for like another five or six pages. And we kind of get a a revised version of his relationship with his dad. And it's, it's doing some interesting things. I think, like I said, I'd like to give it until the second one before I give deeper, before I give a deeper analysis of it. But um, yeah, that's Maxwell's Demons number one by Denise Camp and Vittoria Stoney. That is something that sounds very interesting and something that I'll probably definitely pick up and read. Yeah, I think you dig it. I think yeah. you dig the art style as well. It does yeah. have this like soft dream dream like thing. Like I again it's fresh off the top of my head, so I don't really have the language to describe it. But yeah. go check it out. Do some do some Google image searching, see if it's for you. Yeah, no, definitely. Um one last one on your list, wasn't there? Oh yes, yeah. James Bond, Money Penny. Uh I think I might have brought this up <laughs> quite a few months back. It's something that I I saw on, you know, the new releases and I was like, I'll add it to my pull list and then I couldn't find it in comic book shops. I'm really glad I didn't. Um I hated it. It was it feels like a really cheap cash in. I think it may have been maybe have been when um 
Spectre came out. I don't know. It was a waste of 99 pence. I'm glad I didn't buy the floppy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to explain why. I just didn't like it. <laughs> so, um, um oh. one thing that I, I didn't, uh, it's not on the list of things that I wanted to talk about, but it's just, again, another thing that I, I watched literally minutes before we started recording. Um, the nerd writer, who is one of my favorite YouTube essayists, and I believe, uh, Leon's a big fan of his as well. Um, he just released yesterday a new video called How to Design a Comic Book Page. And it's basically a six-minute essay picking apart one of his favorite pages from Art, Spiegel's, Art Spiegelman's Mouse, mm. um, who we all know is like one of the, the most influential uh, comic books in you know recent history, um, depicting Art Spiegelman's conversations with his dad about his dad's time in Auschwitz uh, as a prisoner. Um, and it's just a really interesting look into the kind of thing we were talking about when we discussed The Beautiful Death about this this consideration for panel structure and panel flow and how you can have some elevate uh, an elevated understanding of the art. And if you have even a passing interest in how comics are constructed, I would check this out. It's a good intro to, you know, to the, this, this kind of thing. So yeah, no. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that, but that's nerd writer one, how to design a comic book page. Mm. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to, skip the rundown of what we're looking forward to because you can just you can hit up previews world and you'll be able to find everything that's coming out next week on there and they um there's some interesting stuff coming but um we're going to skip straight to questions today so questions then so our question today is from uh well basically um the great devourer is sort of in the galactic neighborhood and uh his um his herald swung by uh, nice chap, very shiny. He uh, he decided to uh, pose a question for his comicals, and he said, "If you could fall into a swimming pool full of something, Scrooge McDuck style, so like when Scrooge McDuck dives into his money pit, what would it be, and why?" Why don't you go first, Greg? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what would I fall into? Well, um, what's your favorite thing in the world, Greg? It could be. Abs- what have you started a podcast? <laughs> Okay, comic books then, there you go. <laughs> a pool of comic books and probably come out with loads of paper cuts if I don't die of blunt force trauma when I hit the pile of books. <laughs> well, we were discussing this the other day and I was my, my idea was if you aerate the pool, then you could dive into it without, you know, having blunt force trauma with, you know, from the impact of hitting what is essentially solid, uh, solid ground because all the paper would have been compacted. If you aerate it, it'll be nice and soft and you'll dive in, but then you dive from a thousand paper cuts. So, you know. It's not good either way, really. Yeah. No, but like, if, if what about displacement? So if I'm diving into it, am I not displacing the air and compacting the comics anyway? I mean, whatever's beneath you, I guess. But if you have enough aeration from underneath, then... I mean, you just sink to the bottom and find it really hard to get out, maybe. Also, there's the whole thing, like... I'm no physicist, but, you know, like, when when you hit water from a great height and it mm. hurts, and if you hit water hard enough from a high enough height, you'll probably just, like, splat like you would hit in concrete. Yeah, from surface tension and whatnot. But again, with uh, with these um, you know deep dives that people do into standing water, they do have uh, say uh, bubble jets underneath to soft to quote unquote soften the water, okay. and that makes it that makes it survivable. Uh, okay, and you can do that without getting too harmed. Yeah, cool. Right. So I guess I'd be safe to jump <laughs> into a pool of comic books. It's well thought as long as Ray designs my comic book pool room, then it's fine. And your you know immune paper cuts. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> or you just you dive into really soft paper, but then you'd be ruining all your comics. Like I don't. Mm. I wouldn't use I my I comics. I wouldn't use my comics. Oh, fair enough. All right then. <laughs> Stay away from my comics. If I, have, if I was rich enough to have a room like that, I'd buy comics purely to fuel that room. I'd buy copies of James <laughs> Bond Money Penny. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to go! It'd be a terrible way to go. Surrounded by the worst of the thing that you love. <laughs> so Ray, what would you have? What would your room be? I don't know. I I didn't have much time to think about this. Like. The thing that I love the most, or one of the things I love the most that I feel would be survivable, yogurt, maybe. Like, and if if I did drown in it, like, at least I would be comfortable because, you know, it would be quite soothing and my skin would be great when they fish me out. Um, or on the flip side, I like collecting pens. So maybe, like, fountain pens and, you know, ballpoint pens, but that that, that would hurt. So I... I... I don't, I don't think I want that either. This is a, this is a horrible question. Aer- thought of it? Aerated fountain pens. That's <laughs> uh, no, no. But like, what I've got this image of now. When you said yogurt, you, you remember like the old fromage frey thing, like the the munch bunch, like the fruit characters. Right. Did you ever see those adverts when you were a kid? I vaguely recall it. Yeah, there's like these little. I swear they had these little fruit characters. I'm probably making this up. This is probably one of those like <laughs> memories that isn't actually a memory, or, or and I don't know. But um, like. I'm just I'm just got this image of these like cartoon fruits like murdering you by dropping you into a pool of yogurt and you like desperately trying to climb out and then kicking you back in again. <laughs> I mean, there's worse ways to go, Greg. <laughs> so yeah, um, Leon, you got an answer to this one? Uh, I mean, not really. But I, I <laughs> in the, but what I would say though is that my, my my pool that I would do my Scrooge McDuck dive in. Would have uh, like a, it's a big recipe. So you've got some radioactive spiders in there. You've got uh, lots of money and gadgets. You've got uh, sort of the uh, atom testing, which led to early radiation. Uh, I mean, the early mutation that's packed in there somewhere. Um, uh, you you've just got this whole concoction full of radioactive spiders, and, and I'm just gonna dive in it because like. When I leave it, I'll have a power, surely. Like, there's a bit of like, <laughs> uh, like yellow, uh, red sun energy as well. Like, and I'll just dive in it. I'll leave with one power. I mean, worst case scenario, I'll die or become like a Morlock. Best case scenario, I could be Jean Grey. So, Jean Grey who can web sling. So, I think, I think who you, knows? you'll dive into it and come out the other end as an ashen skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. I could go for the cosmos. I mean, you come could... out the other side. You could get one great superpower, but then come out with like a thousand ailments as well. A pool of the power cosmic would be a pretty good one because you'd come out as a silver surfer. I don't that know. That's annoying. You'd be cold all the time. He doesn't feel cold. You read cold. curse words one. That's not going <laughs> to end well. <laughs> no, like yeah, it, you just got to go ham. Like just fill it with bats. Like. Just pour everything in there. Make it, make it a big, giant, like, uh, like melting pot of just all these origin things. Put some like. Uh, so you've got this like, pool of spiders, and then you're layering like gadgets and bats and things on top of that. So then you've got a load of dead radioactive spiders because they're getting squished. And no, then they're not getting squished. You're gonna have like a bat sandwich going on as well because all these like dead bats crawling around on top of each other, like half broken and whatever. And then like. That just sounds no. horrific. No, guys, no. guys look. Le- Leon, you're my friend. I feel like I know you really well. 
if I had a pool for you to dive into, it would be full of copies of Suicide Squad, DVD copies of Suicide Squad, <laughs> DVD copies of the theatrical cut of Suicide Squad. See, see how, see how well. It'd be, I know. No, it'd be his favorite kind of. It would be like cam quality rips of Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> it's time to wrap up greg (laughs) yeah no yeah um so that has brought us to a close so that has been episode 23 of ace comicals you can find us on facebook under ace comicals you can find us on twitter at ace comicals you can find us on wordpress at uh, acecomicals.wordpress.com you can find us on all manner of podcasting apps and places because uh, Rahul has done some arcane magic and got us everywhere basically so you can find us on iTunes you can find us on you you know more than me about this Ray so <laughs> yeah Stitcher TuneIn Pocket Casts a bunch of these other ones the only one that we, uh, we're struggling with right now is uh, Google Play I believe but yeah. you don't want to go there because they don't let us Brits on, yeah, on there so not, you know it's not, it from somewhere else. it's not available in our neck of the woods yet <clears throat> so we're not Whatever. on there yet yeah um but yeah we're pretty much available everywhere you can find me on twitter under at bato if you want to pose us a question for our next episode then uh please write to us at uh, acecomicals.gmail.com or you can write to us via facebook or twitter and uh we will answer your question on our next episode uh ray where can we find you yeah best place would be twitter at monkey so that's at m-o-o-n-k-e-h and leon where can we find you you can find me doing the breaststroke in my pool of Suicide Squad DVDs at Leon Everett. That has been Ace Comicals episode 23. Thanks for listening, guys. Ace Comicals, over and out.